Second Chronicles chapter 29. All right, good, good. Uh, it was a big moment yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, we, my sister, well, my sister turned an age, which she would probably not want me to disclose because you're not supposed to, you know, share a lady's age, but my sister had a birthday. And uh, so we were celebrating with our family in the hill country and uh, we, we hunt there as well. And so yesterday was a big day. Uh, because uh, yesterday uh, Shiloh was with me in the deer stand uh, on opening morning. And it was just very, I don't know, I, I was feeling like this was a big day for a father. And so uh, anyway, uh, we did, and he did really good. Got out there, I was, you know, it was kind of like, how, how much before the feeder goes off should we be there? Because Sitting there in the dark, you know, what's the, what's the threshold? How long is he going to be able to do it? And he did great. I actually got out there a little earlier than I wanted to. Uh, so he had to wait uh, 45 minutes or so before light and, uh, and before the feeder. And he did great. Uh, the, the feeder goes off, and we saw a raccoon. Uh, and uh, and we, ended up, we ended up seeing some, uh, some deer. Uh, but, uh, but, and he did really good. He made it all the way from six what was it, 6.45 to 9.30. A five-year-old. I was like, this is good. This is a good start. So we're going to go back in a few weeks. We'll see what happens. <laughs> so, Anyway, I'm just sharing with you the joy of a father. So that was a big day. Cool stuff. And then we got home and uh, everybody, you know, everybody's excited and asking what happened. You know, he was more excited about wearing all of his camo than he was even actually uh, hunting. Uh, and everybody would say, you know, okay, well, what, what happened? What'd you see? And I, you know, I, I got to coach him up on this a little bit more, but he was like, dad didn't shoot anything, but you know, it's like, but we, uh, but we saw deer. That was good. <laughs> he was so ticked that I didn't shoot anything. I was like, you don't just fire away all the time. Anyway, we're learning that. But anyway, you guys didn't need to know any of that, but that was my life yesterday. Second Chronicles chapter 29. All right. So. Uh, I'm not going to do tons of review because it would take forever, uh, but I, I apologize. Last week uh, last week should have been two parts. I should have been doing part two of last week, uh, this week, uh, and, uh, and, and I tried to just make it all the way through. So what I want to do is I'm going to go back and, and spend a little bit of time uh, and then try to get some momentum into, uh, into this week. Uh, so we're going to spend a little bit of time on uh, kind of what we rushed through uh, last week, but just as a refresher, we're studying uh, Hezekiah. He's uh, ruler in the land of Judah. His father was, here's a good one. Ahaz, very good, very good. Oh, you thought I was going to answer it. Good. Uh, his father was Ahaz, and his father was, was wicked or good? Wicked. Yeah, wicked. And this was kind of the peak of wickedness in Judah. Hezekiah comes in and changes everything. Um, and the reason that I told you that I feel like uh, th- that God has led us here is because I believe that God is calling you to be a uh, us, we, a, a Hezekiah generation. That that it is time uh, in in first and foremost, it is time in the church for the presence of God to uh, to be valued. Um, our, and and when we when we look at uh, and and we have to first look inside the church. When we look at our nation today, we are in desperate need of revival, and I just really believe that, that what God um, has laid on my heart is that, that these are the things that he has called you to do. And we, um, we spent the first week of this study kind of doing history, then we moved into what did Hezekiah do in, the, in, the, in his first year, in his first month. He reopened the doors of the 
temple and he repaired them. And then the next thing that he does is he calls the priests and the Levites. And this is what we spent uh, time in last week. He calls the priests and the Levites together and he gives them a command and he tells them to do something very, uh, very specific. He says, it starts with a C. Yeah, he says, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves and then consecrate the house of the Lord. Uh, because what he has done is he's saying that, that if, if we are going to be uh, revived, if this is a nation that will again uh, be who God has called it to be, the very first thing that has to happen is that the presence of God has to be valued again. And if the presence of God is going to be valued, and if the presence of God is going to be central, then the restoration of the priests and the Levites have to happen because they are the ones that God has called in order to minister to him and be, uh, be uh, ministers to his people. Right, And so if the temple is going to function, which is what God had designed, because God is, our God is a God that wants to dwell in and amongst us. He wants to be present in and amongst his people. This was the design even in the tabernacle. And, and so the, the temple is the kind of the permanent station of what the tabernacle was. And if that is going to function, then the priests and the Levites have to be healthy because sacrifice has to be taking place. Because remember we said that God does not compromise his holiness in order to be with us. God wants to be present with you, but he doesn't become less holy to be present with you. He makes a way for us to come into his holiness and his righteousness. And this is a good thing. This is why, this is why we, we see uh, the person of Christ, that he was the son of God, that he has brought us. He's not just made bad people better. He has made sick and sinful people righteous and holy. And that is a totally different thing. God does not compromise his holiness. He brings us into his. And he's done that in, uh, in the temple. And so Hezekiah knew this, that if, if we're going to be who God has called us to be, the presence of God must be central. And if that is going to be the case, then the priests and the Levites must be healthy. And so the very first thing he does is he says, consecrate yourself. So he tells them to clean out the, the filth, uh, not within the church, within, within the temple. And, uh, and they, begin to, they begin to go about... Uh, this work now. I, I want to talk about uh, why do we feel like that is uh, that is so uh, important? Why do we why do we land uh, here? And and then how does that apply to us? Uh, because the, the the question we have to ask is is God, is God calling us to do the same thing? Now, last week we talked about uh, how you know why are the priests and the Levites important? How do they? Who has God called to come into His presence to minister to Him and then to minister to His people? Who is that? Who is the priests and the Levites? Who has been called the holy priesthood? That's us, those who have come to Christ, those who have been, uh, who have been sanctified by his blood. That is who we are. We are those very people. And so this word that Hezekiah brings to the priests and the Levites is a word to us. It is a word for us to consecrate ourselves. Say, we, we talked about last week, say yes again. It's time for the church, it's time for God's people to say yes again, to realize that the state of the church needs restoration. The state of our nation needs restoration. And if it's going to begin, then the priests and the Levites, those who have been called according to his name, they must say yes again. And then Hezekiah tells them to clean out the filth from the church. And we talked about last week, there's, as I just thought about this, I, and there's probably more, it could be less, you may agree or disagree with me, but the four things I really felt like were present in the church that needed restoration was, one, there's just, there's so much uh, hypocrisy in the church. I don't want to spend a lot of time there. I think we know that. We live one way in here, and we act one way in here, and then outside of these doors, our lives are totally different. Uh, the last three really are disturbing to me, though. I think we've commercialized and normalized the things that God has intended to be sacred. 
community and worship and preaching of the word. We've tried to make these uh, appeal to the, to the masses. We've commercialized the things that God has given us as, as things sacred and holy and uh, and we've tried to make them just appeal uh, to the masses. And, be, and because of that, we've lost the sacredness of what it is to, to come together. We've lost the value of even what is happening uh, here. When we, when we pray and when we, when we preach the word, we, we don't have it, uh, we, it. It doesn't hold such a high value anymore. It's become so normal to us. The other thing that I think has happened within the walls of the church is we've diluted the gospel and discipleship. I think it's part of the normalization of sacred things is we've just said, look, we want everybody to come in so we'll make the gospel less difficult. We'll make, we'll make discipleship less tricky because we want everybody to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so it, instead of it actually becoming a call to come and die, to lose your life, to forsake everything, to come after him, instead of that, we'll just make it easier so that everybody else will do it. And it has cost us uh, true uh, discipleship. We've diluted the gospel for the, for the masses. And then I think one of the most grievous things that has happened, especially within the Western church, is the scorning of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've heard it said before, I think it's a, I don't know who said this first, but uh, if, if the Holy Spirit were to leave church, would we even notice? I think that's a, I think that's a, a telling question of our time, but we've devalued the presence of the Holy Spirit uh, in our midst. We don't need Him anymore. What we can do, especially within the walls of church, we can do without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, and I think that scorning of the Holy Spirit is part of the filth that it's time to take out of the church. It's time to carry the hypocrisy out. It's time to carry the the uh, secularization of sacred things out. It's time to carry out the dilution of, of the gospel and of discipleship. And it's time to carry out the devaluing of the Holy Spirit. Those things need to be restored. Now, remember, please hear me. It's not okay for us to just point those things out. I told you, I shared last week, I won't go into it again, but I spent a lot of uh, several years in that place, just, just pointing at the things that are wrong within the church. And you cannot just stand as a critic. You have to, to see what is wrong, to see the brokenness in the church, is to also then uh, admit that you are part of that brokenness. You are no, in no way separate from it. If you are part of the church, which all of us who have believed in Christ Jesus are part of the church, it cannot be enough for us just to say, here's what's broken and here's what's wrong without also saying, and I'm part of it. It has to come with confession. It has to come with humility. It has to come with repentance for us to then be able to be part of the solution. That's why the word to the priests and the Levites was consecrate yourselves. Set yourselves again aside. Make, make, say yes again to God and then you be part of carrying out the filth. You can't just point and say, here's what's wrong with the church. And uh, the, uh, the question then is, who is going to actually do this work? And in Hezekiah's day, it was the priests and the Levites. In verse 11, we're in chapter 29 of Second Chronicles. This is, the, this is his word to them. And I want to talk about what this, what this means, and then we'll get into our new content. He says in verse 11, my sons, do not now be what? What's the word? Negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, to be his ministers, and to make offerings to him. The word that Hezekiah brings to the priests and the Levites, I believe, is the word that the Holy Spirit is bringing to us today. Look at my sons and daughters, those who have been called by my name, who have been set apart, who are in the church. Do not now be negligent. 
You can't be negligent because why? Because God has chosen who? You. I don't know what you think about that reality. I don't know if you think that that's a fairy tale, if, that's, if you think there's no way that God has actually chosen us. But listen, I, I don't know if this is good news or bad news to you. But listen, there's no other plan. We're it. God has sent his son to be crucified on a cross, but he went away. He rose again and gave us the Holy Spirit. So this is the plan for God's glory to cover the earth. His people filled by his spirit, being obedient to him, worshiping Jesus. And in that obedience and in that worship, the glory of God covers the whole earth. That's the plan. And you and I have been called to do that very thing. And the word from the Holy Spirit to us today is do not be negligent. Negligence is not not an outright rejection. I think we think that a lot of times, that if, if, if that's the word, okay, Kendall, then if God's saying don't be negligent, well, I'm not going to be negligent because I think that's a pretty good idea. But apathy is also negligence. Inactivity is also negligence. It's not just this scorning of the word of God. I'm not, because I don't think we see that in our churches today. Most of us would nod our heads and say, whatever you just said, preacher, is a pretty good idea. But then we leave here and we don't go about doing the very thing that God has called us to do. That is negligence. It is to neglect the very thing that God has called you to do. And that's the, that's the desperate word. Can you imagine? Now, why is Hezekiah begging the priests and the Levites to do it? Because he cannot. He cannot, and the, the, the name of the king has just left me. But a few kings before him, a king decided, well, I'm just as good as a priest and a Levite, and I'll go in and I'll make sacrifice. I'll be in the temple. Anybody remember, just off the top of your head, the name of that king? Help me, Bible trivia. Okay, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so Hezekiah knows this is not my place. So can you imagine the desperation He wants revival so bad, but he will not do it a different way than God has said to do it. And so he's begging the priests and the Levites. And I'm serious when I say I believe this is the pleading of the Holy Spirit. My sons and daughters, do not be negligent. And I believe that's where we stand today. I want to look at negligence a little bit. And I want to go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 5. Now, I've uh, preached on this passage uh, before, I think it's been maybe a year or two ago. Gosh, maybe even more than that. Uh, but this is an interesting passage. This is a word that God brings to the children of Israel. Isaiah chapter 5, and it's a, it's a kind of like a parable. But I want you to listen to these words just really, really quick. So he's, he's speaking to the prophet, and, and it's, this, it's this song, it's this allegory, it's it's this picture, but I, but I think it applies to us in a major way. Listen, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning this vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it, and he hewed out a, a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes. But it yielded what? Wild grapes. Now here's the, the, the next part. So, the, so you understand what happened, okay? So, so the guy prepares the, prepares the, he puts the vineyard on a fertile hill. He does everything that's necessary in order for that, for that uh, vine to produce what? 
grapes, right? He does, he does everything that's necessary. And then look at verse 5. And now I will tell you what I do to my vineyard. It didn't produce, right? It didn't produce grapes. It, it yielded wild grapes. He says, I will remove its hedge and it will be devoured. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It will not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for what? Justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now, what is this about? What is, this, what is God saying? God's saying, I gave my people, I gave Israel everything they needed in order to produce what they had been called to produce, in order to do what I had called them to do. I gave them every opportunity, and what was the yield? It was not what I had called. It was this, the, 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 the parable is it was wild grapes. It was not righteousness. It was what? Bloodshed. And he's saying, I'm stating my case. That I've done everything necessary in order for this, uh, for this vine to produce what it was asked to produce. And it did not do it. And so it will be destroyed. And, and you go, okay, well, how in the world does that apply to us? I, I believe, I, well, I know, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we will stand, each of us, believers, will stand before the Lord accountable for the life that we've lived as a believer. The end of days is not just going to be a heaven and hell kind of line. But you and I will stand before God and we will have an opportunity to, in that moment, cast our crowns before him. The things that were produced in righteousness of the Holy Spirit, we will have an opportunity to lay at the feet of Jesus in worship. But there will also be the wood, hay, and stubble, as Paul says, of our lives that will be consumed and devoured. And those are the things that we did not with the Spirit, not in obedience to Him, not by faith. Those are the things that are produced in the flesh. And we will be accountable for the life that we've lived post-salvation. Do you know this? You will face God someday, and, and you, all of your life will be known. I'm not saying this to scare you, but what I'm saying is I believe there will be this day of, of, of reckoning. And he's telling Israel, I gave you everything you needed in order to do what I called you to do. And I believe there's going to be a day where the church will face God and he's going to go, what more could I have done? I freed you from the slavery of sin. I cleansed you by my grace. You did nothing to earn it. And I wiped out all sin from every one of you. And I didn't stop there. I took that empty void space that I'd built for me to live and I filled you with the power and the presence of nothing short of myself, the person of the Holy Spirit. God lives in you. And then I didn't even say, and then based on that, now in your talent, go and work for me. I didn't say that. I just said, abide in me and you'll bear fruit. I said, I've given you everything that I need and I've put all of myself in you. And if you will just trust that provision, your life will bear fruit according to righteousness and not of your flesh. And I believe that we're going to be accountable for what we have been given. Sons and daughters, do not be negligent. That is a word to us today, to not be negligent with the filling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of church and community. God has given that to us so that his glory would fill the earth. Today is not a day of negligence. Today is a day to say, yes, God, we will stand in the position that, we've called, uh, that you've called us to stand in. But we won't do it by our own power. We'll do it by trust and faith alone.
And we'll trust that your work and your provision will be enough to do what you've called us to do. You guys can say amen if you agree. So I hope that most of us in here are going, okay, yes, I'm ready for the yes. Here we go. (laughs) You ready for the yes? Yes is the appropriate response. Go back to 2 Chronicles. Yeah, so if, if, the, if you thought this was going to stop as kind of the rah-rah, you're ready to say yes, we all say yes and charge the gates. There's a few more things after that. <laughs> but I want, you, I want you to see this because I think this is really beautiful. And I, I think because sometimes these names are hard to say, we pass them over quickly. You guys ever had, I'm, boy, I'm telling you, as somebody that has to read them in front of you, I get so anxious sometimes. It's like, uh, sometimes I just like to say, and these people went... <laughs> But I think this is really interesting. So he says, don't be negligent. That's verse 11. Verse 12, we're going to read 12 through 14, and you just have to forgive my Hebrew. Then the Levites arose. Mahath, the son of a Messiah, and Joel, the son of Azariah, of the sons of the Kohatites, and of the sons of Moriah, Kish, the son of Abdi, and Azariah, the son of Jehalil. And of the Gershonites, Joah, the son of Zimah, and Eden, the son of Joah. And of the sons of Elasphon, uh, Shimri, and Jeul. And of the sons of Asaph, Zechariah, and Mataniah. And of the sons of, this is awesome, He-Man. I want to be the son of He-Man, I'm just saying. I'm just kidding. Now I lost. Okay, He-Man, uh, Jehul, and Shemai. And of the sons of Jeduthun, Shemaiah, and Uziel. I made it. <laughs> Thank you. Why do we care? Why didn't we just go, okay, lots of people said yes, and their sons, and then verse 15. Why does the Bible write names down? I think we, we, we pass over them quickly and, you know, it's like we don't understand them, we, you know, so we just, we just run through them. But I think it's really important that the Bible records names because think about it. These are the people that said yes. These are the real flesh and blood physical people. I mean, they had life and breath in their lungs. They stood before Hezekiah, these people with names. Who in this room is a person of flesh and blood and has a name? You with me? These are real people with real lives and stories. And they stood before Hezekiah. And I don't know if it sounded anything like what I'm saying to you. But somebody with passion said, don't be negligent. And these people, real people, said, I won't be negligent any longer. That guy, we can read about him. He has a name, said, yes, I'll, I'll step into my place in history. Names are important because names are people. You have a name. You have a story. You have a reality that you're present in where God and by the Holy Spirit is saying, will this be a day of negligence or will this be a day where you stand in the place that I've called you? And your name could be recorded in the kingdom of heaven as somebody that said, yes, in my day, in my hour, I will stand. I will be one of those yeses. These guys got the the honor of being recorded in the scripture, but their name goes down in history as people that in their hour said yes. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say any of their junk from their past. 
It doesn't list any of their talent. It doesn't list anything else about them except their name is next to the people that said yes. We know that they were priests and Levites. So everybody in this room that has received Christ Jesus and has a name (laughs) qualifies. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. You don't have to go there. You can write it down. But what does God say? He says, I have redeemed you. I have called you by what? By name. You are. Is it up there? (laughs) Hello. (laughs) You are mine. I have redeemed you. He's speaking to his children. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are are mine. And in 2 Chronicles, so we go back to 2 Chronicles and then you can go to chapter 16. I love this, this picture of the eyes of God. You guys ever read this passage where it talks about the eyes of the Lord roaming to and fro across the earth? I want you to see it. I don't know about y'all, my Bible is some kind of stuck together in this part. Okay. That's not right. Oh, I'm in First Chronicles, that's why. <laughs> I told you, stuck together. I went all the way back, a book. All right. Uh, are you in 16, Second Chronicles 16? Look at verse 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. I just think about that. Don't, don't read anymore, just think, just think about that. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro across the whole earth. Think about just how massive God is. I was trying to explain to Shiloh that when we're sitting in the stand, if you see something out of your peripheral, you don't turn your head real fast and look at it. What, what do you get to do? You, you move your eyes because you can rotate your eyes and see, right? And you just give dad a little nudge and say, hey, dad, there's a monster over there, right? So whatever it is, uh, that didn't happen. I wish it would have. But, uh, right, he can move his eyes, right? What, is, what are his eyes doing? The eyes are moving to and fro. Think about how massive God is that with a gaze, God can scan the earth. Woo! <laughs> Whoa! He's massive, and he's not just seeing the landscape. God is looking into the hearts of men, that the eyes of God move to and fro across the whole earth, looking into the hearts of men. And what is he wanting to do? To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless to him. What is God looking for in these days? He is looking for people with a name whose heart is blameless to him. He's looking to give strong support to those who would say yes. He's looking to give his strong support. And I want to tell you, when God says strong support, that's a good thing. That's the support of Almighty God, the creator of heavens and the earth. And he would say, I want to bring strong support. To what? To those whose heart is blameless to him. To those who would say yes. To the priests and the Levites that would stand in their place in history and go, yes, God, we will be who you've called us to be. We will be the people that cleanse your name Uh, for our generation. Go back to 29. In God's infinite wisdom, do you believe that God is infinitely wise? Do you believe that God is infinitely sovereign? In his wisdom and in his sovereignty, God has chosen to use us to achieve his grand purposes on the earth. 
And you say, what about Jesus? Well, Jesus is part of that whole thing. (laughs) But what God did in Christ is redeem you and me. God showed us, according to the book of Colossians, it was, it was God's uh, great pleasure for him to display the person, the character, the nature of God in the person of Christ Jesus. And through that man, through himself, to bring us into salvation because God's plan was to then fill us with the Spirit and cover the earth with his glory through his people who are called by his name. He shares that with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the promise. That God doesn't, he, and I don't, know, I don't know all the answers why. I think there's some great theory. I don't know all the answers why. Why did God not just wave a magic wand? I think it has a lot to do with God's great and perfect love. That he, that he in his wisdom and in his sovereignty, he said, Anthony, I, it's you. Melina, it's you. Colton, it's you. Sam, it's you. Eric, it is you. That he called a people by name, set them apart, and filled them with himself to achieve his purposes. If you don't believe in this hour, in this moment, like just take everything else away. If what I've just said to you doesn't tell you that your life is of so much higher significance than maybe you've ever thought of before, you've got to rethink it. You are alive in the context of the grace of God sweeping the earth to bring his glory through the, throughout the entire universe. That's why you're alive. So, right, it doesn't matter much. (laughs) How could you be insignificant to be called by God and filled by His Spirit? How could we have insignificant days when God has filled us with His Spirit and called us into His purposes on the earth? And here's the question that I think the Holy Spirit has for us today. Who will those names be in our day? Who will be written down as those who said yes and didn't just say it because Kendall was passionate and convinced you. If my convincing is what's doing the trick, it will not last. It will just be a few hours from now and it will be lost. But if by the pleading of the Holy Spirit, you're saying, you know what, it is time for me to say yes, then that call will be forever. And if you are listening to that pleading of the Holy Spirit to say, Jason, say yes today then that yes is recorded. God sees and knows the names of his people that say, yes, we will be part of what you want to do. The question is, who will forsake everything for this call? Uh, I'm going through right now, and if you haven't read this book, oh, please, please read it. It's, it's uh, intense and you'll go slowly, but read The Cost of Discipleship uh, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's a, it's a wonderful book. Lots of, uh, I would say, prophetic significance. The things that the church was encountering in, in his day are not too far off from what we're in today. But he has this uh, section in the second Doggone, did I run through another one? Okay. <laughs> he has this second, uh, second microphone, second chapter. So he's in the second chapter. And, uh, and, he, and he talks about the call. And he talks about when Jesus came to the disciples... And what did he say? What, were the, what was the simple call of the disciples? Pretty simple. Follow me. Come and follow me. And he talks about how the honor of that call is not in what Jesus called them to do. Did he explain any of it? No. Have you ever thought that that was strange? He doesn't say, follow me to do dot, 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 dot. 
He, he doesn't give any indication as to the lifestyle that these guys are going to live. Now, when we throw that into the Jewish context, we understand they called Jesus rabbi and teacher, that he was thought of as, as uh, we don't know how concretely, but as, as rabbi. And this was very common. So the rabbi would call disciples in this way. Follow me. And they'd tell him, uh, you know, come and follow me. Take up my yoke. Their yoke was their interpretation of the law. And, and how they were to live in light of, uh, of Torah. And so they would say, come and take up my yoke. And Jesus said about his yoke that it was easy and light, didn't he? Why? Because he promises to do what he's called for us, if we'll just trust him. But he calls, and he doesn't call him to a lifestyle. He doesn't say, hey, Matt, um, I wanna, I'm going to call you to, to cleanse the lepers. I'm going to call you to, to make blind people see. I'm going to call you to raise the dead. I'm going to call you to you know, help establish the church. I'm gonna call you. He didn't say any of that. Now, are those the things that they did? Sure. But what was the honor for the disciple? Where does the, where does the, where does the yes come from? It's not from what he's calling you to do. It's from who calls you. The honor for us is not what God has called you to do. I don't know what he's called you to do. I have no clue. Well, I know vaguely he's called you to bring his glory on the earth. But we are so busy, and I think you guys run into this a lot because of just where you're at in, in, in your life. You're going, okay, what am I going to do with my life? We get so absorbed in, is there honor in the call? God, what are you going to call me to do? What are you going to call me to do? And, and I think it, it really confuses us. Do you not know that it doesn't matter what God calls you to do? God called you. I don't know what you think about our current president. I don't care. If he walked in the room and said, would you pick up trash for the next hour? You'd go, Sure. Because that's a story for the grandkids, right? The president asked me to do something, and I did it, right? Jesus is calling us. The king of all the earth, the one that sits enthroned above the heavens, is saying, hey, Melina, would you follow me? Duh. And and honestly, I think if, if Christ were to walk in the room and say, hey, Colton, would you follow me? I don't think we'd go, well, it depends on what, you know, what are you asking me to do? You would run to him. And if he tried to say, hey, okay, here's what it's about. I don't care. I don't, you know, he'd be like, I don't care. Stop talking. I'm following you. The honor for us is not in what God has called you to do. Because look at me. God is going to call you to do hard things. There's going to be days where what you're doing has no honor at all. And then in the eyes of men, you will be in meek and lowly places. You're, in, you're, gonna, you're gonna stay and live in Nacogdoches? You're gonna, you're gonna work a part-time job and, and serve that, that church? Like, don't you have bigger things to do with your life? And all the armor bearers said, amen. <laughs> right? Right? Listen, listen, the honor is not in what you're doing. The honor is in the fact that Christ has called you. And he is the one you'll face someday. And if we can just get a hold of the honor that it is to serve Jesus, I think our yes would be so much more immediate. We've got to put down our agenda of, man, does it look good on Instagram? If I took a photo of what I'm doing for God, does it, does it look appealing? I'm going to just tell you, if you're walking with him, a lot of what you're doing is not going to be appealing. It's not going to be glamorous. It's not going to be social media ready, Right? But who cares? Christ has called you. You've said yes to the king of all the earth. 
It doesn't matter what we're doing. It's Christ that has called us. This is, this is crazy cool, all right? Remember, remember how I told you who, who was the prophet that, had, that we think had a relationship with Hezekiah? This is, this is my last thing. I'm done. Who is it? Yeah, Isaiah. Okay. Who received this question? Whom will I send? Isaiah. In the sixth chapter of Isaiah, this is wild. Okay, I'm going to go through it really quick. But, but in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, God's going, okay, who am I going to send? Who will be my prophet to the nations? And what does Isaiah say? Me! (laughs) And he said it without a glamorous call. Oh, by the way, I want you to go tell my people how wicked I am. They are. Uh, How wicked they are. Sorry, I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. God is good. Amen. Say amen. Okay, so God, I want you to go tell my people how wicked they are. He didn't care. What did he say? God is calling me. I'm going to say, here I am. Send me. You know the very first person that he went to after that call? Ahaz. Right after Isaiah chapter 6 in verse 8 where he says, okay, who am I going to send? And Isaiah goes, I'll go. He goes to Hezekiah's dad under that calling. Now, I don't know. I mean, this is, like, this is one of those things that scholars, we don't know. We don't know the relationship. But, but, I, but I imagine there's some proximity. And, and what Hezekiah may have seen was this prophet burning with the heart of the Lord, burning to do what God had called him to do, come into his father and say, you are walking incorrectly. Repent and follow the Lord. Reestablish the worship of God. Hezekiah saw the fire of that prophet, and he watched his dad say, No. And I imagine that there was probably a moment in there somewhere, and this is just my guess, but in there somewhere where Hezekiah said, I will never say no to the Lord. And at age 25, he began with a yes. And then he called the priests and the Levites, and they began with a yes. And revival sprung up because he began with a yes. Now look at this progression. Isaiah's yes. What did Isaiah say? Send me, I'll go. Isaiah's yes. brought him to serve Ahaz, who said no. But Isaiah's yes trickled down into Hezekiah's yes, and then the yes of the priests and, and the Levites. And the question that I have is, like, okay, what is our yes going to do? What is, our, what is your yes going to do? What, what is coming three generations from now that your yes will have prompted? Right? Come on. Because some of you, you've got an Ahaz like in a generation right before you. I don't know. Some of you don't. Some of you have unbelievably godly and wonderful parents. I, I grew up that way and, and am unbelievably thankful. And I carry the burden and the honor of continuing the yes in my family. And some of you, the yes needs to go from a, a, a no to a yes. But I want to promise you that your yes now will have impact on generations to come. And I just love imagining your name saying yes to God. What names, what people will be affected by your yes? And then they move into this, this very uh, logical step. Well, they get, they get busy. They get busy doing what God has asked them to do. They begin cleansing the temple. We're going to look at that. But they begin in, in, in an inner and private uh, cleansing. It's just them. And it's a dirty and difficult work to go into this temple that has had idolatry in it. And they go in and they begin to clean it out. And, and uh, Second Chronicles is going to teach us uh, or tell us the story of this cleansing. And we'll look at that uh, next week. Fair? Okay. God, help us to be a people of yes.
God, if you are asking the question, Holy Spirit, if that is indeed the case, and as I believe that it is, who, who will go? Who will, I, who will I send? Who will go for me? I just pray that this would be a room full of yes, that we will, we will go. We will do what you've called us to do, and God, the honor for us is not in what we're doing, but it's in the fact that you have called us. I just pray that that would be real in our hearts, that we would really be absolutely blown away and honored that the king of the universe would ask us to serve him. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.